0: Now grab your Bibles if you will and open them to the book of Job and let's continue our study of the book of Job. We're in chapter three and um, I'm gonna I'm gonna somewhat alter the text that's written in the the bulletin. Um, so kind of stay with me. Uh, I, I want to read you the first five verses and then I'm gonna skip over to verse twenty. So here we go. After this, Job opened his mouth and cursed the day of his birth. Job said, let the day perish on which I was born. And the night that said, a man is conceived. Let that day be darkness. May God above not seek it, nor light shine upon it. Let gloom and deep darkness claim it. Let clouds dwell upon it, let the blackness of the day terrify it. Now guys, the following verses are simply restatements of that same thing. He's cursing the day of his birth. Then we come to verse 20. Why is light given to him who is in misery, and life to the bitter bitterened soul who long for death, but it comes not? and dig for it more than for hidden treasures, who rejoice exceedingly and are glad when they find the grave. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God, that endures forever. Hey guys, have you ever sung this hymn? There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And sinners plunge beneath that flood, lose all their guilty stains. you probably not sung it quite that well, but um, uh, have you ever sung that, that, that hymn before? You probably have, and uh, you know who wrote that? His name is William Cooper. He, um, he, he spells it C-O-W-P-E-R, like Cowper, but it's pronounced Cooper. Um, <clears throat> let, me, let, me, let me mention another hymn. Um, I, I don't know the tune to this one, so I can't sing it. I know you're disappointed. Um, but um, I don't think we sing this one much around here. But I bet you, you recognize these lyrics. I bet you you've used them or had somebody say them to you. Listen to this. God moves in mysterious ways his wonders to perform. I bet you've heard that. He plants his footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. Ye fearful saints, fresh courage, take the clouds, ye so much dread, are big with mercy and shall break in blessings on your head. One more. His purposes will ripen fast, unfolding every hour. The bud may have a bitter taste, but sweet will be the flower. You ever heard that? That... God moves in mysterious ways, his wonders to perform. I, I bet you have. Do you know who wrote that hymn? William Cooper. Cooper wrote um, There is a Fountain Filled with Blood in 1771. Three years later, in 1774, William Cooper tried to kill himself. But that wasn't the first time. He had tried three other times to take his own life. He tried poison. He tried a knife. He tried to hang himself, all of which failed. On the fourth attempt to take his own life, he hired a taxi, a a horse drawn carriage, and instructed the the driver to take him to the river. He was going to jump in and drown himself. A fog set in, the driver got lost, couldn't find the river, brought him back home, and said, sorry, couldn't find the river. He goes into his house and he writes, God moves in mysterious ways, his wonders to perform. That hymn, that language that, that most of you have heard before, was written on the night, hours later, that William Cooper tried to kill himself. It was William Cooper, in collaboration with John Newton, you know John the Newton, that named John Newton uh, of Amazing Grace fame, uh, they put together an anthology of hymns, which was called The Only Hymns, O-L-N-E-Y, uh, which was a, a landmark uh, in the history of uh, Christian hymnody at the time. And yet... Um, the last, the last decade of, um, of Cooper's life was lived with a sense of dread that God hated him. And he spent much time going in and out of depression and thoughts of suicide. All of which brings me to Job. You know, I, I've never met anybody yet that didn't feel sorry for that guy. I mean, and who wouldn't? I mean, he, uh, he, he, his whole world came crashing in on him overnight, and for really n- n- no apparent reason other than some, what some would call a, some kind of cosmic joke. That being that, that, um, that satanic activity and, and, um, And God allowing it. You know, guys, we don't have any trouble with the satanic activity part. I mean, most of us believe in a personal devil. That's not the hard part. The hard part is that God allowed it. God wasn't absent or uninvolved in all that's going on in the book of Job. But he was silent. And it was that silence... That Job interpreted as absence, and that was the thing that drove him crazy. And if you'll read the book and study the book, you'll find that the thing that he keeps mentioning over and over and over, he must mention it a dozen times in the course of the book, he wants to talk to God. Why won't you speak to me? Where are you? I, I mean, uh, I, I want to I present my case to you. I, won't you visit me? Where, where, where did you go? And yet, no deal. He never gets to do the thing that he so longs to do. In, and how long did all this go on? Well, um, at least ten days. But uh, chapter 7, verse 3, would seem to suggest that it went on much longer. Months. Months! <laughs> Can you imagine that? Months of this. And so, here in chapter 3, after seven days of a, of a saintly silence, Job suddenly cuts loose. He curses the day that he was born. And then, we come down to verses 20 and 21, and he, and he wants to die. Apparently uh, he's at the end of his rope. This sense of lostness has, has kind of swept over him as he as he as he sat there in the rubble of what was once a, a beautiful and a prosperous landscape. His livelihood was gone. He was ruined financially. His um, he, he's sitting amongst or or at least in close proximity to ten fresh graves dug for his ten adult children. He'd lost everything, and now he's lost his health. And and he sits in the ashes of his life, crushed, alone, confused, without any direction, without any sense of direction. He longs to hear the voice of God, and yet he can't. And so he, gives, he begins to give voice to his own agony. And interestingly, there are those who um, who really criticize Job for what he says in chapter 3. Of course, they're doing that uh, as they write from their positions of ease and comfort. This part of the book, guys, this part, chapter 3 of, of the book of Job, is certainly one of the darker sides of the book. One which um, which we evangelicals we would just as soon uh, ignore, if not outright deny. And and yet, the fact is, folks, that, that there are there are many of us who have who have come to a similar place where we we, we just want to throw in the towel. Not necessarily abandon the faith, but but sick and tired of trying to sort it all out. And from there, when you get there, the next step is rather predictable. You want to die. But then, From there. What is the next step? Well, I want you to notice what it isn't. It isn't suicide for Job. Um, Oh, oh, he wants to die, all right. In fact, he, he asked to be annihilated but he recognizes that that suicide is simply not a prerogative that is his now ladies and gentlemen i mean there are you know there are certain subjects that um, that we find good christians are not supposed to uh, to discuss in mixed company and this is one of the darker ones if not the darkest suicide so let's all of us in in, 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 together now, just, um, uh, let's, let's paint on these, these goofs and, 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 and suggest or imply or appear to say, oh, that thought would never cross my mind. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, it has crossed mine. pain, pain so great that that I thought, if life has this much pain in it, I'd just as soon exit stage left. And if that admission, ladies and gentlemen, allows you to be a bit more honest with yourself, then let me tell you the company that we're in. Moses prayed to die. Did you know that? Elijah prayed to die. Jonah prayed to die. All three of them. And yet none of them took that next step. Because they knew suicide to be the most selfish of all sins... And more fundamentally, they realize that that is a prerogative that is simply not ours. Theirs, ours, anybody's. You know, guys, maybe Job is just more honest than the rest of us. That is, he gives voice to things that that we feel ought not be uttered. and yet some of us ladies and gentlemen maybe maybe many of us have been at this same sad place can a mind break that is under pressure can a mind break like a bone like an arm or a leg you know i'm not a doctor and i don't know but i you know i bet you it can and, and I'm I'm suggesting that this chapter, chapter three, is is where Job snapped. It's it's one of the bleakest chapters in all of the Bible. But it's not the only one, ladies and gentlemen. I hope you know that. Um, Psalm 88 comes to mind. You know what the last five words of Psalm 88 are? The last five words of that psalm are these. Darkness is my closest friend. Oh, boy, it sounds like he's having a good time, doesn't it? The psalmist in that psalm reaches the, the end of his prayer without so much as a crumb of comfort. And I'm saying to you, ladies and gentlemen, that Christians can get there. And Christians can get out. How? Well, that's what I want to talk to you about this morning. I, I want to give you five suggestions. Call them um, call them five pieces of counsel. But for heaven's sakes, don't call them five steps. Christians love formulas. They love to think, oh, one, two, three, four, five, it's that simple. It's not that simple, ladies and gentlemen. There is nothing formulaic about pain. So what I have is five pieces of counsel. That's all I've got. I don't have a foolproof method. I have five pieces of counsel. Five suggestions. Listen to them. I and, I, and I hope I, I hope they help. Number one, gang, it it is important for all of us to realize that nowhere in this book, nowhere in the book of Job, are we ever given reason to believe that Job's depression in and of itself is ever viewed by God as sin. Now, guys, I am not saying that it is desirable Christian behavior. When you go to the New Testament and you read the Apostle Paul say things like, Rejoice always. Well, yeah, no, no, no. I'm not saying it's desirable behavior. I'm just saying that the Bible never harshly denounces it. And, and gang, this book is not the only place where you get that impression. There are other places, like, um, like, uh, 1 Kings 19. You remember that when, when, um, um, when Elijah had just had this great victory over the prophets of Baal on the Mount of Carmel, and, and Jezebel said, "I'm going to kill you," and, and he runs like a scared puppy, and he ends up on the side of a mountain, and he sits down, and he's sullen, and he's depressed, and he sulks, and he's, he's scared, and he prays to die. And an angel shows up and feeds him for crying out loud. Not a hint of rebuke by that angel. Here's another place, in in Proverbs chapter 18, let me just read this one one verse to you. Uh, It says this, A man's spirit will endure sickness, but a crushed spirit? Who can bear? The, The text is stating a fact, and yet there is not one hint of rebuke attached to the statement of that fact. Now guys, I I, I say that because I hope that that'll take some of the pressure off. Because the Bible seems to, to recognize the possibility of God's people, on occasion, falling into something as dark and as deep as this so if you find yourself presently or futuristically or in the past but if you find yourself in depression it doesn't necessarily mean that you're some kind of substandard Christian entity gang there are all kinds of causes for, for depression they could be physical they could be uh, mental they could be moral um, they could be demonic. I, I'm simply saying, guys, just because you find yourself in a state of depression, it is not in and of itself sin. Sin may have gotten you there, but. It's not in and of itself sin. It might have been brought on by some sinful choices you made, okay. But the depression itself might be physical. It might be. It might be mental. It might be. Dem- I don't know. But just understand that first, guys. Nowhere does the Bible harshly deal with people found in depression. Second thing, gang. um... There are situations when despair is the only authentic response of a truly godly person. That is, there, there are situations where despair is almost demanded. You know, you find one of these in, in Psalm 119. Um, David says this. In in that real long psalm, remember Psalm 119, verse 136, he says, My eyes shed streams of tears because people do not keep your law. You know, you look out over the uh, the cultural landscape. And what are you looking at, ladies and gentlemen? What are you seeing? Are you seeing reasons to rejoice at the goodness of mankind? You look out over this culture and and you see the disgusting levels to which our country has sunk, you see that sin reigns. It ought to make you weep. You know, I sit on Wednesday nights. Well, I don't sit, but I visit with... There's, there's on Wednesday night. There's one table of of women. You know, I'm kind of drawn to the girls anyway. But um, uh, they're all talking about how difficult it is to raise children in this sexually deviant culture of ours. Ladies and gentlemen, I feel sorry for you. I mean, I, I mean, I mean that. I mean, it was. It was terribly hard to raise children when we did it, and and, and I didn't do it very well. But it's far harder now. It ought to cause you to weep. You know, you see these senseless murders and these these avoidable, life-taking car accidents. and, And despair is just... Dare I say it? Unavoidable. Guys, I, I, I think the point that I'm making is this. That the part of the problem when we find ourselves in such a pit is that you and I know that things just aren't the way they're supposed to be. The church of Jesus Christ is one big old fat Mess. It's not supposed to be like that. And so, in the midst of our despair, we cry out to God, and that's good. But, gang, there are situations that the only proper response of a righteous soul is my eyes. Are filled with streams of tears. Third, you know, gang, um, perhaps we have never, frankly, come to grips with the fact that we ourselves are evil. You know, what I'm saying is that uh, one of the things that might help is a healthy do- dose of realism. You know, guys, I'm broken. And you're broken. And we're broken. And the whole culture's broken. You know, my wife is fond of saying, if you just stand still, difficulty will find you. So why muck it up further by making sinful choices? Gang, being a Christian of necessity means grappling with the dark side of our sinful nature guys somewhere in here you're going to have to come to the realization and admit it that we have been ravaged by that cosmic car wreck called the fall no we aren't ideal husbands no We aren't ideal wives. No, we don't have ideal families because we're broken. We've all been ravaged by the fall. And and I'm saying, guys, again, hopefully it'll take a little pressure off of you. I'm in a mess. I'm in a pit. Because I'm broken, because the people around me are broken, and because the world I live in is broken. And this ain't heaven. Heaven's lighter. Fourth. Guys, living for Christ is like being awake for open-heart surgery. <laughs> I forget who said that. It wasn't me. I'm not that smart. Uh, I think it was Mike Mason. Living for Christ is like being awake for open-heart surgery. And so we have this strange privilege of actually being conscious and awake while God works on us. And while he does, there is no anesthetic available except trust, trusting in the surgeon. And, And sometimes in the midst of his working on us, this surgeon does things that causes stabbing pain, and I cry out in the pain that has been inflicted on me. But here's the good news, guys. Everybody knows that surgery is designed to fix things in me that are broken. And if you had been honest in your, with yourself in that Third piece of counsel I just mentioned. If you've been honest with yourself with that, then the pain becomes redemptive. That is, pain in a perverse kind of way is my friend because it fixes things. That's how David saw it, the psalmist. If you can get there, if you can make friends with your pain, then you're on your way out of the pit in which you find yourself. Fifth. Gang, um, this is probably the most severe thing I have to say to you this morning. But it's a part of the analysis. Folks, what causes a person to suffer is one of the surest indicators of what he believes in. You know, you know, the Bible in, in Matthew chapter 6 says, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Here's the point, guys. Amidst this whole nightmare for Job that we're reading about, what is odd about it is what Job doesn't complain about. Never does he whine or wail about the loss of his camels or his sheep or his buildings or his servants or even his children. What Job does mourn over is what he feels is the loss of his spiritual standing. God won't talk to me. He's lost his peace with God. Any kind of fellowship, any kind of felt sense of the Lord's presence, any kind of sense of his approval, it's gone. And that, ladies and gentlemen, Job mourns over. And invariably, guys, with the loss of peace means the presence of fear. Those two are inseparably linked. When I lose the peace, the fear comes. And for a serious-minded believer, that is the one big calamity. Let anything else happen to me. Take anything else you want to take away from me. But don't take away that leave me with my peace so my brother and sister in christ what things do we most complain about what what causes in us the greatest fear what what can we least afford to lose Voila! We have just found your treasure. We have just found your God. Because, you see, if my heart is attached to my stuff, and I lose my stuff, then I'm overcome. But if my heart is inextricably bound to God... Then the one thing that I can't stand to lose is his smile, and and the promise of this book is, I won't. I won't. Gang. Oh, if only more people would complain, and would protest bitterly the loss or, or the absence of peace with God oh that we might find that more oh that we might have people mourning over that not oh my tax bill went up eighteen thousand dollars this year guys we got to learn what to complain about We we, um, we must rightly define what is a true loss, gang. We hold we hold a lot of wrong things in high esteem, which the Bible calls idolatry, gang. What 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 we're doing, and I think you'll agree with this is that we are sacrificing peace on the altar of, of overwork, of frenetic family schedules, on the altar of, of people-pleasing or career success or entertainment. And then we wonder, oh, what happened to my joy? The new normal for folks like us is chronic restlessness. And if I could just take 90 seconds of an aside, do you know where I see that again and again and again? It's that chronic restlessness that is the author, it's the origin, it's the birthplace of marital affairs. It's the result of substituting doing for being. And so, ladies and gentlemen, what I'm saying in this fifth piece of counsel is this. The heart needs to be lassoed and dragged back to the place, the only place that it was ever intended to be. And that is resting in the bosom of God. And you know, pain, pain has a way of making me see that. And then pain has a way of helping me do that. Ladies and gentlemen, this is not in my notes and this is when it gets scary and my wife just gets really nervous. But if you're in a marital affair right now, I hope you are in pain. I hope you're in a pit so deep that the only thing you want is to be restored to a place of peace and rest with the God who made you and saved you in Christ Jesus. Pain has a way of making me see what a helps me get back to the place where my heart was intended to be in the first place. You know, guys, um, what Job has lost and what all of us in depression have lost is is the firm grasp on a biblical principle which is life-changing. I want to read it to you. It's only one verse. But would you listen to this? This is in Isaiah 32, and it says, And the effect of righteousness will be peace, and the result of righteousness, quietness and trust forever. Can I read that again? Listen. The effect of righteousness will be peace, and the result of righteousness, quietness and trust forevermore. Again, peace starts with righteousness. But Job and I have precious little of that stuff. But Job and I, and many of you, know where righteousness is to be found, and it's not. Many, it's not to be found in me. It's not something that I produce. In fact, Martin Luther used to say that righteousness was extra-nos. That means it was outside of us. He called it an alien righteousness, that it 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 was a righteousness that was somebody else's. It wasn't mine. The only righteousness available is the righteousness of Jesus Christ. The only righteousness, the only righteous one is Jesus Christ. The only righteousness, guys, is a God provided righteousness based on the finished work of Jesus Christ for me. And it is to that righteousness that I must retreat. And when I do, peace. In stages, begins to return. And I am once again reminded that the safest place for me to live out my life is in the hollow of his hand. Even if, and especially if, that hollow, takes the form of a bleeding nail print. And when I get there, when I finally get there, peace is right around the corner. Father, I pray that you will heal the souls of your people, all of us, who, um, who find ourselves struggling with stuff that doesn't need to be struggled with, who find ourselves attacked, whatever the cause, O oh God, whether it be chemical or whatever it is, Father, would you remind us, remind us that the effect of righteousness will be Peace. The result of righteousness is quiet and trust forevermore. When we lose grip on that, Father, we are in trouble. My, my simple reminder to your people, aid them as we all seek to come to a place of solid ground. And Father, for those who've come here this morning but have never yet made that first embrace of Christ's righteousness, Would you cause them to see that the only beauty available for sinners such as I is Christ and Him crucified? We pray, of course, in His name. Amen.